look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Thanks for tuning in to another edition on 770 CHQR. here with Dave Popowich. I've got no Faisal today. Uh, he wasn't feeling well, so uh, we said stay home. Nothing serious, I'm sure, but um, but better safe than sorry. So you got me today, Let's uh, and we're going to have a pretty cool show today. We're going to talk a little bit about what resources are available if you need anything during this time as a senior and social isolationism, but we're going to do it positive. There's been so much negative news. That's all we get from the news is negative. And uh, Betty Joe, the producer, and I were talking about how can we deliver something that's positive and uplifting. And one of the one of the things that's come out of the COVID, the self-isolation, is the gift of time. And so how can we use that? And we're probably going to do a series on this gift of time, talking positively how we can use it to influence others, help yourself, all of those things. And we've got a cool segment to kick that off for you today. We're also going to talk to a leading portfolio manager about where the market goes from here and how to position. Now, here's something pretty unique. This portfolio manager has been able to, at the date of recording this this session, generate positive returns in the equity markets. Well, that certainly bucks the trend of what you're reading about in the, you know, in the headline press. So what are those themes and how do you make money? How do you position and so on and so forth? We're going to talk to, to Noah Blackstein about that. Um, often what we do, Faisal and I, in this first se- uh, section is we talk a little bit about um, questions or, or conversations, themes that, uh, that we're hearing about during the week. And the theme this week is uh, is positive non-COVID stuff. <laughs> so I'm going to stick with that that theme today because it's been interesting over the past several weeks. Of course, when we first, past several months, we'll call it, when we first got into the crisis, you, of course, you start that crisis talking about uh, with people and investors about the fear and uh, markets crashing and, you know, is this the end of the world and those kinds of things. And then we settle in and um, you know, governments have responded and so on and so forth. The markets have adjusted to that. And we're in this, this second phase and we'll eventually get to the third phase. But as things have settled down um, a little bit and we're adjusting our lives to this new reality that we have being socially isolated and, you know, quarantining and distancing and so on and so forth, um, it's given us this this idea of uh, or this gift of time. And uh, in talking to people this week, it, it's been interesting. There's been a whole bunch of different things to talk about, but less and less, say, about markets and economy and, and even health at that particular point because we're bombarded with that information. But people are thinking through and they're doing other projects. So, you know, some people are going around and they're doing their spring cleaning, and I think we're going to have the cleanest houses we've ever had, you know, uh, coming out of this particular spring. As people are going through their office, I was one of these people cleaning out my office. You come across some things, and one of the things that, that – people are coming across is their wills. And so they're, they're dusting things off. And uh, sometimes these, uh, the wills and power of attorney and personal directives haven't been looked at in a long time. And guess what? They have time now. So it has been interesting to talk to people about this. And in some cases, there isn't a will. And so they, you know, they've got time to sit and think. And we've had conversations about this in the past. And now they have time to deal with it. Or they have seen their, you know, they pulled up their old will, their old will. And boy, this was before the, the kids were born. And now the kids are out of the house. Uh, maybe we should be updating it. Um, but part of what's leading into this is, uh, is still the volatility that we've seen in the markets. And so for those people that, that I've been talking to this week, and keep in mind, again, that part of my responsibility on the team is to talk about what we call our legacy bucket. 
And that is a couple of different things. It certainly involves those key documents around will, power of attorney, personal directives, and ensuring that they're current and they reflect current wishes. But other aspects of that legacy bucket are about um, advanced uh, tax planning in some cases. So when Andrew on our team and his financial planning team go to work and uh, they create a financial plan that indicates there's excess capital, there's, there's more assets that a family has than they are going to use in their lifetime, and therefore they're going to be transitioning those assets. How do you do that? And the sensitivities that have come up recently really are around tax. So if you think about all of the changes that are taking place, um, sort of the fiscal policies that governments are uh, are initiating, paying for rent, paying people, um, you know, wage, 75% of the wages, uh, you know, so much money being printed in debt ultimately being created. One of the common themes that, that questions that we've been talking about is what are the potential tax implications given that, you know, we maybe have to pay some of this debt back at, at some point. Now, um, I caution everybody, you get proper tax advice given your situation uh, from a tax professional and understand the difference between policy and what's legislated, okay? So I put that caveat up front. But if you're concerned about those things, as many people are, and you've got more money than you, you're going to use up in your lifetime, then you, you face that, that uh, daunting task of transitioning those assets uh, to the next generation or multiple generations. And there's some complexity around some of those things. For instance, if you've got a farm and you've got multiple kids, uh, that's, that's a different situation than if you've just, uh, you've just got an investment portfolio that you'll be transitioning cash at the end of the day. So there's some complexity depending on the specific nature of the kind of assets that you and your family have acquired uh, throughout the course of your life. But, it, but this gift of time has allowed people um, uh, to sit down and start thinking about these things and uh, realizing that if you haven't thought about it for a while, that it's very different uh, from 25 years ago and you may have put your will together. And so I, I find it very interesting to have these conversations. I think this is really valuable stuff, and it's often stuff that gets pushed to the back burner um, because it's not fun to deal with. And, it, you know, as a, as a priority item, you know, unless something has really happened that has triggered some urgency on that, it's one of those things that rarely is urgent, but it's always important. So I, I, uh, the gift of time for me um, is to encourage everybody to think a little bit about their, their family situation, ensure that those legacy documents are accurate and they're current, and... Um, you know, when I say current, I mean within five years. Sit down. If you're single, then, you're, you know, you could talk about it with your friends if you wanted to or, or think about it yourself as a couple. You want to bounce, you know, have that, uh, that conversation. And perhaps if the kids are older now, depending on your family dynamic, get them, uh, start getting them involved. If you're concerned about the tax component of a gain, you have to go back to a financial plan. So if you haven't done a financial plan, I ask you to start thinking about and maybe taking some of that time that you have available to you and going through a proper financial planning process to have some context to what that legacy looks like. So those two notions that we often talk about on this show of, of financial planning and legacy estate and tax planning are all intertwined. Right? Yes, we have to make some assumptions about what the future looks like, but if you're doing that in a conservative way and you have proper guidance from, from uh, you know, a certified financial planner, what you can do is you can start to create a pretty decent glimpse into the future of what it might look like, what tax exposures you might have, what complexities you may have from a family perspective, and then start developing a plan 
of how to pull these things uh, pull these things together. So, um, my challenge to uh, to all of you is uh, one: Do you have a will? Two: Is it current? Okay. If it's no to both of those, you've got some time on your hands right now, more than likely. Why don't you think about allocating a bit of that time to thinking through some of these things? Um, might take a glass of wine or two for you and your spouse to, uh, you know, to, to get over some of the, 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 the difficult conversation uh, that may have to take place. But it is incredibly valuable to you coming out the other end to have a peace of mind of knowing that those pieces are put together in a way that it supports your family. Okay, enough railing about that. Um, that was a bit self-serving because this is a, this is a key focus of mine in our practice. We're going to have, I want you to stick around because um, we've got a portfolio manager joining us uh, shortly um, that we're going to talk about uh, how do you position in a market like this. We're also going to talk a little bit about the gift of time from a volunteering perspective and some of the things that you can do, whether you're a senior or you want to help seniors. So a fantastic show. All of this is relevant to the lifestyle conversation that, that we have on a regular basis. And I want to encourage you to join us for our next seminar, which is taking place on Tuesday, May the 19th. That's at 7 o'clock. Now, it's not a live seminar in terms of us being in person, but we will be live online through the webinar. And to register for that, you have to go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, stick around after the break. We'll talk to you then. Welcome back. You're here on 770 CHQR, More Than Money. Uh, just me today, flying solo, Dave Popovich. Um, and I've got Anna Stevens joining me today, Manager, Senior Social Support, Calgary Seniors Resource Society. Um, Anna, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we appreciate your time. And, um, you know, the the seniors population um, has uh, perhaps been, is the most vulnerable given our current crisis that we're dealing with, the health crisis. And so I, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about the kinds of programs and resources that are available uh, for seniors as we go through this, but but beyond this as well. I mean, this will come to an end at some point And, uh, you know, there's other challenges that seniors have as well. But um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, your group, the society, and what kind of programs and resources that you do offer. Right. So we have a number of things that we offer through Calgary Seniors Resource Society, and COVID has shifted the way that we provide some of those services. But just sort of generally, we have a couple of teams, two teams of social workers, one that is more urgent response and specialized to deal with um, sort of more urgent social crises and another social work team that's part of the way in network which is a citywide collaboration and they're providing longer term social work supports to seniors in calgary mm -hmm. and then the team that i'm responsible for our senior social support team we're providing a variety of programs that are delivered by um, community volunteers so things like friendly visiting where seniors are matched up with a volunteer who will come and visit them regularly, our escorted transportation program where volunteers are providing rides to medical appointments for seniors. Um, we have a number of different programs, including pet assist and phone friends and shopping companions. So mm -hmm. a, really a, a myriad of services that we're providing through volunteers. Yeah, and these are services that are broadly needed, you know, at any time. This has nothing to do with with the COVID. But you did you did make the comment that you have changed things. Current, you know, certainly the the COVID nineteen issue is creating some very specific issues. Can you speak to some of the maybe the offering changes and anything specific to that that seniors could get? You know, programs that seniors could get help with right now. 
Absolutely. So a COVID, like with, <laughs> with I think, everyone, right. um, has shaken it to the core. And so I think that we are finding that some, some adaptations are necessary. So we've moved to doing a lot of our services over the phone. Um, and so, you know, for the most part where we can, we've come up with a lot of creative ways to have volunteers providing support over the phone. So normally in our phone friends program, a volunteer would be matched with a senior and they would call them at a preset time, either daily or several times a week. And with the, with COVID we've, um, moved a lot of our social support to over the phone. So we're putting out daily challenges like, you know, um, can you interview your senior about a historical moment that this is, that this is reminding them of. So maybe their wartime memories. Um, we're doing lots of other little challenges over the phone. Like, can you, um, you know, do a lyric game where you challenge each other to guess the song based on the lyrics. So just trying to get creative with, the ways in which we're um, supporting volunteers to build those uh, those relationships with their seniors um, during this period of isolation. Yeah, and I think isolation is the key word. That's what I was thinking about. And, and just for full disclosure, and our regular listeners will know that I have a mother in, in a long-term care facility at Edmonton. Thankfully, mm-hmm. no issues with COVID at this particular point. But, um, you know, one of the things, uh, Anna, that uh, the decisions we had, when, when my father passed originally, my mother had come to live with me and right. we, you know, we supported her through that period of time and mom has dementia, which was getting progressively worse. And what we saw is that, that issue of so, social isolation creep in because you know, I'd be at work all day and my wife would be at work and the kids are at school. And so she's there all alone. And that, you know, that was becoming a difficult situation. And so my brother yeah. and I, and my mom decided collectively that it'd be a better experience for her to be someplace where she could interact. Well, fast mm-hmm. forward to today, and we've got an environment that, you know, she's back in a socially isolated position in the sense that they're on complete lockdown. They yeah. bring the food to her door. Um, you know, they, um, I think she can go out on her balcony and there's one gal that she might be able to talk to at a distance. But, you know, it's a mm-hmm. difficult environment. And so yeah. um, I think that your point about isolation is is really key. One of the things, and depending on how long this goes, it's going to be absolutely critical to provide support and keep just keep people engaged at a human level. Yeah, absolutely. And I can really echo your sentiments. My grandmother is in long-term care in Calgary and she's yeah. in a, a facility that is impacted by COVID. Um, and it's been, that's been a, a really difficult thing for us personally. Um, we've been window visiting her. So we are allowed into the yard and we go to the window and talk to her on the phone so that she can see us. Um, and it's been, that's been uh, a really difficult thing for for my family and for me, but we're hearing that from from the clients that we serve as well. So I know one of my coworkers was sharing with me yesterday a story about a lady who um, whose husband passed away and then daughter shortly followed and has a loved one in long term care in yeah. a COVID affected facility. And it's those people that we really worry for that are so not only are they worrying about someone else who's extremely isolated and or potentially at risk, but they're, they're, they themselves are then also cut off in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where we're trying to, we're trying to focus on bringing some of that positive back in. And so I think there's been a lot of negative in the media and, and not just generally people are feeling downtrodden. And I understand that. And I think what we're really trying to do through the services that we provide in our department is to 
is to bring some light back into the situation. So we're really focusing on encouraging people to be kind. And even if that means, you know, yes, we have a senior lens. But we're trying to encourage people to be kind generally, to to have more tolerance, to think about others, to try to spread some cheer, whether that means dropping flowers off on somebody's porch or putting happy pictures up in your windows, which I'm sure you have children, so that's been happening in lots of houses. So, you know, really just trying to, Calgarians are amazing and they come together in a crisis. We've seen that time and time again. And I think this is no different. We're really seeing a surge. We put out a call for fast track volunteers um, to help us with meal, grocery, medication deliveries for seniors. And we've had over 750 inquiries in five weeks and we've been able to bring on about 300 new volunteers to to help us um so like people want people want to do something about it they're they they are very kind naturally and i think it's just really trying to um continue that momentum and as you said at the beginning of our conversation i really hope to see that continue on beyond the end of covid um, it's not just during the outbreak that I think that's important, but I think that kindness, particularly towards seniors, uh, is and, and that connection between humans is really important beyond the end of that um, period of time. Well, yeah, thank you for saying that because, you know, Betty, jo- Betty Joe and I were talking about, um, you know, planning shows and um, a week ago or so, and we were talking about the fact that all the news is negative, and, and you, yeah. you correctly identified this. And so we wanted to to look for stories that were positive. I mean, we're in a new reality for the time being, um, but we got to make the best of it. And I love this idea of volunteering because one of the things that people have right now, they've got the gift of time, yeah. um, you know, and the question is now, how are you going to use that time? So if you can't go to work or you've been laid off and, you know, we're at home and we're isolating, what can we do to fill our time? Because it's not just about that, you know, that senior that's isolated. It's about staying engaged mm-hmm. in a human way, no matter who you are. And I think that volunteering, that gift of time can be used partly to, to volunteer. And so I love to hear those numbers, uh, you know, that 750. And I'll, let me ask you, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, this is a cool idea that gets me to do something, how can, do you have capacity for more? Absolutely. We actually have need for more. Um, what we saw initially was that I think a senior sort of hunkered down for the first few weeks. Everybody was yep. caught off guard, I think, yep. a bit. I certainly was. I was lying in bed at 10 o'clock at night when the email from the CBE came through telling me that school was no more. Yeah, I remember um, that one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I think that people had this initial period, particularly our seniors that we serve, had this initial period of shock where they just hunkered down and kind of tried to um, get through without seeing anyone for a couple weeks but now what we're seeing is that period is gone people are desperate to get supplies like groceries medications you know they have some of our seniors have essential medical appointments that can't be postponed some of them are getting cancer treatments that that's stuff that still needs to be they still need support to be able to do and so we do have we do still have a need for volunteers Um, the best way for people to get involved is to go onto our website and um, go through our fast track volunteer application process but I mean I guess what I would say is that volunteering I think people sometimes have a bit of a mental block around volunteering because they think it's this big formal thing where you have to sign a bunch of papers and and commit yourself to hours and hours a week Um, and it doesn't necessarily I think we're really trying to encourage people to think about volunteerism differently and to think about grassroots informal like neighbor level volunteering volunteering could be moving the garbage bins for your elderly neighbor because that can be um, 
uh, prohibiting task for them. So we really want people to just think about all of the different ways that they can be involved in a, in a healthy community and be volunteers without even necessarily seeing it as having having to go through those formal channels. So picking up trash in your neighborhood or moving garbage bins for the senior next door or helping, you know, mow their lawn when you're mowing your lawn. Those are things that you may not see as volunteering, but but that's still volunteering. It's just informal, um, organic volunteering. I think you make a really good point. What's your website if people want to get a hold of you? It's www.calgaryseniors.org. Okay, that's terrific. Anna, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much. That was a, a piece of positive news and some good stories. Um, I love to hear it. There's always need for help, and there's ways to get engaged. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Been joined by Anna Stevens, Manager, Senior Social Support at Calgary Seniors Resource Society. Okay, before we take a break, uh, let me remind you that um, if whether or not volunteering, working full-time, or something in between is part of your future in retirement, we have to talk about how to put all those pieces together to keep you engaged and the highest quality of life that you can experience or lifestyle that you can experience. We're doing that not by a live seminar, but by a live webinar. It'll be our second one. This one's going to be on Tuesday, May 19th at 7 o'clock. Again, live online. To register for this, please go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break. We're going to talk a little bit about how the markets might change this year. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave. No Faisal today, as you know, um, which means it's going to be a, a fantastic uh, show today. Uh, just kidding, Faisal. You're likely listening. Uh, we do have Noah Blackstein with us today. He's a vice president and senior portfolio manager at Dynamic Funds. Uh, going to help us understand a little bit about the global environment and positioning uh, in this particular environment. Noah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Listen, for full transparency, I just want to let our listeners know that we uh, we do hold in our portfolio your Dynamic Power Global Fund. And um, again, for full transparency, I want to say that at the time of this taping, uh, you have more than bucked the trend in terms of the equity markets, the fact you're showing a strong positive return when equity markets uh, have been having some trouble. So uh, well done for that. Thank you. Noah, let's talk a little bit about... Um, I've got you for a couple of segments here, so I'd maybe like to use this uh, this segment to just um, have you sort of frame, give us a framework of what uh, of what you're thinking about, perhaps maybe how you were positioned coming into this particular crisis. I mean, it was sprung upon us very quickly, and and then and then how, if any way, you've changed positioning, um, you know, as we've sort of moved through this. So just open-ended, give us some framework of what you're thinking about right now. Well, I guess typically when when you've you know, I, I've I've been managing money for a long period of time. I um, I, I joined Dynamic Funds in 1998, uh, 1997, excuse me, and launched the U.S. version, a uh, U.S. fund in '98, and started running the Global Fund, which we started in 2001. So I've and before that, I was at another firm for about uh, three years. Um, so I've seen a lot of market cycles. You know, I sort of started in the peso crisis and Russian debt default, long-term capital. The 2000 2000 period tech rack, and obviously the global financial crisis of 2008, yeah. and assorted uh, major market breaks uh, in between. Uh, traditionally, the, the breaks in the market that I've seen have come really from central banks tightening interest rates, really going too far and then breaking the economy. And what seems to get hurt the most is, is usually where there are signs of excess. Um, there have been a few corrections over the years. Um, if you think of 87, which were much more exogenous shocks, 
uh, where the economy didn't uh, necessarily go into a recession. And sort of, you know, what was going on in the markets before uh, sort of continued after that exogenous shock. So unlike sort of the 2000 to 2002 timeframe or in 08, where, you know, banks really haven't even gotten back to where they were in 08, um, it took housing a long time to work off. There were real no, no, there were really not a lot of uh, global excesses uh, in, in the economy uh, going into this, mm-hmm. um, and so we weren't looking at you know overvalued real estate or overinvestment in technology. So what actually sort of occurred this time around, um, you know, the, this virus started in, in, in Wuhan, China. Uh, they shut it down uh, fairly quickly, but you know, hundreds of thousands of people traveled around the world. And now it's become sort of a global pandemic. Um, and the government's responded with shutting down the entire economy. Um, what's sort of happened, though, is like the trends that were in place before. Um, so the move to the digital transformation of corporations, the move towards cloud computing and towards e-commerce. Uh, those trends didn't actually break. In fact, those trends accelerated given the entire work from home environment, uh, given the shutdown of economies and, and, and other things like that. And so whether it was, you know, whether we saw it with Alibaba or NJD and e-commerce in China, or whether we saw it with Amazon in the U.S., you know, whether we saw it with the video game companies in the U.S. or whether we saw it, you know, with, with Tencent in China, um, um, you know, we've seen these global trends toward cloud computing, digital transformation of enterprises, e-commerce, actually um, accelerate and and reshaping companies in terms of how they collaborate and how they do things. Uh, all of those things, which we sort of were positioning going into this crisis, because these were the areas of long-term secular growth, have actually accelerated because of this crisis. Uh, the longer-term concern is how long do we stay shut down for? And right. when does the economy come back up? And that's really sort of a... a, a um, uh, a medical question and a policy question to which I really don't have the answers to. My concern is the longer we stay shut, the more this becomes an economic insolvency issue versus a short-term liquidity issue. So there is that risk that's still out there, but we're not going to go backwards. You know, Netflix added more customers in three months than they had in the previous, you know, that was their, their, that was their biggest three months that the top, some of their yearly additions in terms of subscribers. Um, even in China today where things have opened up, people aren't going back to the movie theaters. So I do think, you know, do studios and stuff begin to say, maybe we should release a movie directly onto Netflix and maybe the movie theaters aren't going to come back. So the shape of the recovery obviously matters and the length of how long we're shut down matters. But I do believe these secular trends are likely to stay intact and even accelerate a little bit coming out of this. Yeah, I think what you said is really interesting in the sense that uh, that you were positioned with these secular trends in mind prior to this, and you've been a benefactor of it because it has accelerated those uh, you know those areas, uh, companies, and parts of the economy that um, that should do well in given this particular environment. Did you make any changes, fundamental changes? And uh, I get that you're not trying to time when the end of this is, and we'll follow whatever the policy decisions are, and whatever the epidemiologists tell us, but do you make any changes going through this from a portfolio management perspective uh, or have you to date? You know, I think that there are, there are opportunities clearly when, you know, where I felt perhaps 
um, in the back half of 2019, which was a solid year, you know, um, overall, um, where what you see, you know, maybe there have been stocks that you were looking at that ran away from you or they uh, took off in terms of price and you were able to, you know, and then obviously in the February, March timeframe, you know, some, many of these stocks, you know, the markets were down 35% peaks trough. Many of these stocks were down, you know, similarly 25 to 40% percent. So where there was an opportunity in some of those names um, to where you sort of felt like it had gotten away from me in 2019 or 2018, it gave me the opportunity to sort of uh, move into those, move into those companies where I think that the growth was intact. I do think though that um, in a, in a couple of other areas, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's raising it's raising questions. I think that, you know, if you think about fintech, um, financial technology, um, that's one of the areas where I think that, um, you know, they're market share gainers. And I think, you know, in the U.S. and in Brazil and places like, and in Europe as well, uh, you know, we've seen strong growth from whether it was Agent in Europe or uh, PayPal and Square in the U.S. or, or PagSeguro and um, uh, Stone in Brazil. Uh, but what you've the moves that the government made um, to shut completely shut down uh, the businesses has fallen really hard on small and medium-sized enterprises. And right. the, the backbone of many economies are small and medium-sized enterprises. And, and the government has, has literally killed those businesses. And the concern is when did these businesses come back up or did they ever come back up? Um, you know, smaller restaurants and, 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 and things like that. And so I think in the fintech space, they were, if it was a mild recession, I think for a lot of these companies, they would continue to be market share gainers. Just the enabling of the technology, the simplicity of the technology, uh, and other things like that. Um, but really, I think that the problem has become, with the complete shutdown of small and medium-sized businesses, um, it's become more significantly more difficult uh, right now for those fintech companies. And so, you know, I think there's a few positions in that space where it was like these companies would have, you know, been market share gainers in a recession, but in a complete shutdown, they're it's going to be it's it's going to be difficult. And how many small businesses come back online when this when this occurs? So I think in certain areas, you know, we've continued to we've used it to upgrade the portfolio or add names that we missed. And other areas that I like the long-term secular growth, the complete shutdown of small and medium-sized businesses uh, has raised more uh, more questions than I have answers to. And that would be an area where we've taken down exposure. Mm, oh, that makes sense. Okay, um, we're going to have to go to a quick break here in a minute, Noah. Uh, but you're going to stick around after the break, and thank you for that. We're going to talk a little bit about oil and its relationship to the broader economy. Certainly we can't uh, bypass that topic, given that we're in Alberta here. Uh, so stick around for that. But before we uh, leave this segment, I want to remind everybody that we're going to have our next uh, live webinar. So it's not a seminar given the uh, the current state of affairs, but we'll have our next webinar on Tuesday, May the 19th. It's going to be 7 to 8 o'clock, same time. You can go uh, live online for that. You have to go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register, morethanmoneyradio.com. We look forward to chatting with you about proper positioning in this environment and how to take advantage of some of those opportunities. All right, stick around uh, for more Noah after the break. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to More Than Money on 770 CHQR. You're here with Dave today. Um, uh, I'm flying solo, but I've got a terrific guest uh, who we've, uh, who's stuck around for an extra segment today, Noah Blackstein. He's Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager at Dynamic Funds. Noah, thanks for sticking around for another segment. I appreciate that. 
Thanks for having me. So um, you did a pretty good job of, I think, identifying some key themes uh, that were working before and have just accelerated, um, you know, given the current state of, uh, of the economy. I am interested in, in talking a little bit about uh, some of the risks that you see going forward. You've already identified the fact that, you know, you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know how long this is going to last and what exactly the policy decisions are going to be. But I think I want to deal, uh, dig into a little bit more on that. But before we get there, I get a common question, and just at a high level, what is the relationship with with oil and the general economy? So lots of the news coverage, you know, as these historic oil price swings have taken place, we get, you know, negative futures contract rates for short periods of time, and it sort of throws the market into turmoil, equities. And I get lots of questions of that. Could you just walk us through your thinking at a high level as a portfolio manager of that relationship and what, what, if anything, you should be paying attention to in the longer term? You know the oil market is a it's it's a strange market uh, and, and a crazy market in terms of the, the, the players involved and and clearly there was um, deliberate efforts uh, to drive down oil prices uh, with the Russians and the Saudis. Yeah. Um, so there's geopolitics involved in, in this market. It's not just a completely free market based on supply and demand. That's for, uh, for sure. Uh, you also have the production. You know the U.S. is I think became one of the, became the largest oil producer in the world. And, and you have, you know, the Saudis and the Russians, um, you know, I think a, a number of years ago, an attack on the Saudi facilities um, by Iranian-backed militia, which is the world's largest you know, oil depot, would have sent oil prices up, you know, $40, $50. Yep. And uh, it had no impact. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the U.S. is, a, you know, the large one of the largest uh, if not the largest oil producer in the world these days because of shale. Yep. And so I think that um, there's geopolitics involved with trying to deliberately shut down not only the Canadian oil sands, but also uh, the shale oil in the U.S. by foreign uh, countries. I don't think that's – I think that's a given. I think that's been widely discussed. And so there's geopolitics involved in this. And then there's obviously the issues with an ETF uh, called USO that exists. Um, which was, uh, I'm not a big fan of ETFs, um, but this was a, uh, an ETF that tried to track oil prices by buying the front month futures contract. Right. And at one point owned perhaps a quarter of the outstanding volume. And so, you know, when they roll these future contracts, they've consistently lost money. Uh, oil prices going negative was them selling into a market that just didn't exist. So there are non-supply and demand issues around oil prices that are just completely, um, you know, a little bit more difficult if you're just trying to say, well, what's the demand and what's the supply of oil? But there's a lot of oil right now out there. There's no question about it. I think it's going to hurt the U.S. in terms of employment. Shell's been a very large employer in the the last little while. Obviously, it has impacts on on Canada and Mexico. Um, Definitely, I think, you know, places like Japan and China, who are net importers, uh, are probably going to be better off in this environment, um, given the lower oil prices. And I think coming out of this, consumers will probably be better off. That doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, help in Alberta for sure, but certainly in other areas where there are, where the consumers are, uh, it's a consumer-based economy, it's obviously stimulative uh, to those consumers as well. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think net-net is probably a slightly bigger negative to the U.S. economy than a positive. Um, and we'll have to see how it all plays out. But there are geopolitical questions 
um, which are very difficult to answer um, in terms of what the Saudis and what the Russians decide to do. Yeah, well, that, that's for sure. Um, okay, let's let's talk in a, on a broader basis, if you can. Um, you've got th- some themes. What are some of the the risks that you're watching? And and I ask this from a, from a retail investor's perspective because there's just so much negative news, so much fear. Um, you know, with respect to the health uh, component of the virus, it's very some, it's very hard sometimes to identify what the real risks are that they should be looking at from an investment perspective and managing managing that versus just the emotional reaction to all you know just terrible negative data. Well, I think for sure, if I could frame it in the opportunities, I think, you know, I look at what's happened here and I do see the opportunities longer term in the healthcare space, uh, the opportunities longer term and obviously technology and cloud computing and other things like that, not just in the U.S., but globally. Um, so I, I, there are opportunities. Um, there's no question about that. There are obviously risks. The risks are you know, the malls and retailers um, around the world have been suffering for lower traffic to malls because of e-commerce and other things like that. Uh, the question becomes, you know, do people come back to malls? And there's just, you know, you, every day is another bankruptcy, you know, whether it's a JCPenney or an Neiman Marcus or perhaps a Macy's or troubles at the gap, you know, the gap is running out of money and other things like that. So, you know, the, the, the traditional mall-based retailers in the United States um, are at huge risk. And it obviously plays into the hands of a Walmart, into a Costco, to an Amazon, uh, to, to a Kroger and companies like that. Uh, but there are risks in terms of what is the impact uh, of these malls closing down? What is the exposure to, the, to these overall malls and stuff like that? And, and um, in terms of uh, pension funds and other things like that. Uh, so that's a risk, I think. I think the, um, you know, once, once, I mean, I'm not quite, I'm not 100% sure how government was able to do all of this without legislation, but they seem to have. No one's challenged it yet to the Supreme Court in terms of the Charter of Rights or the Bill of Rights or whatever it is. But the, the other risk is that, you know, when, when do some of these restrictions come off? When, when is it enough and how long does it go for? And, I, I, you know, I'm not here to argue what they did was right or wrong, uh, but the longer it goes for, you know, today in Canada, for example, uh, the government announced that um, you know they would be kicking in with the provinces and, their, and the uh, and the landlords to cover forgivable loans of up to seventy five percent of rent. Well, for how long, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, and how big? And so you start to look at these ballooning amounts of debt, the government coming in, giving away uh, money and stuff like that. It had to be done because they've they did this because of the virus and the shutdown. The question is, how long does it last? What does it do to the deficit and the debt? And so, you know, the U.S. will spend nearly $3 trillion, um, and the Federal Reserve has added almost $3 trillion in terms of asset buying onto its balance sheet. So we're talking about some pretty serious debt and deficit numbers that are going on out there. And I think, you know, you need to think as an inv- with, with interest rates at near 0%. Yep. So you do need to think as an investor, you do need to be cognizant of what is the longer term impact of all of this debt and spending. And the answer is, you know, just like we don't know the medical and policy questions, we can't quite figure out what the impact of all of this debt is going to be. It's a very, very low interest rates, and it's not a bad idea for them to lock it in with 50 or 100 year bonds. But we really just don't know what the impact is going to be. 
Yeah, fair. Now we've got about a minute, maybe a minute and a half here, and maybe I'll just get your thoughts on your on your global focus, your your global uh, fund. You can go nearly anywhere. What um, do you have any insights? What economies do you think are the best, or are, is it just case by case, company by company specific? Any comments you have on that? Yeah, you know we've we've um, I, I've never really paid attention to indexes or benchmarks or or, or industries or um, or geographies. I've, my focus has always been trying to find 20 to 25 of the fastest growing companies uh, with the biggest upside potential over the next three to five years, uh, wherever they reside globally. And, and, you know, today, you know, that could be in, in an e-commerce company in China. It could be in an in, in a online gaming company in, in Southeast Asia. Um, it could be in, you know, payments companies in Europe or in, in, in U.S. healthcare companies. And so we'll go anywhere in the world to find companies that have the opportunity to be significantly larger in terms of both revenues and earnings um, over the next three to five years. And if they could do that, um, then I think that the stock price will follow those companies. So, you know, we don't really, I don't really focus in on, on macro. I don't really focus in on, on, on um, uh, having, making sure I have a stock in each country in the world. Uh, we just go everywhere we can find the fastest companies. You know, we've had as high as 50% in China, for example, and today, right. You know, we're down to 13%. You know, we've had the U.S. has been 50% of the portfolio. The U.S. has been 25% of the portfolio. You know, Europe has been zero and Europe has been. So it's not, it's not, we don't really look at things that way. We're really just looking globally for the fastest growing companies with the biggest potential upside to their stock prices over the next three to five years. Love it, Noah. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you carving out some, uh, some time for us today. Please stay safe to you and all your listeners. Uh, you too, my friend. Okay, we've been joined by Noah, Bla- uh, Noah Blackstein. He's a vice president and senior portfolio manager at Dynamic Funds, and we do appreciate his time. We're wrapping up this segment pretty quickly, but I want to remind you uh, that uh, we're going to be doing our next seminar. It's not going to be live in person, but it is going to be live through, um, through the Internet. And we're going to do that on Tuesday, May the 19th, and I encourage you to register for this. We have a terrific session in April. May 19th is going to be our next 7 o'clock as usual. But to register, you have to go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. We look forward to seeing you uh, on May 19th, and I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.